Thank you, Corey. Thank you, praise team. Uh, I want you to imagine something, if you will, for a moment. Let's say you're at a community public pool. Kids are swimming. Everything's fun. And all of a sudden, a grown man comes in the gate, pays his admission, drops a bunch of scuba gear right on the edge of the pool and starts putting it on. And then gets all the oxygen tanks ready and gets his breathing apparatus ready. And then he climbs down or walks down the steps in the shallow end of the pool and stands there. Never goes under the water, never does anything. He is prepared to go under the water, but he never goes into the deep end of the pool. He's content with staying at the shallow end of the pool. Now, you and I would probably look at that person and say, that's a waste of equipment. It's a waste of his time. Who is he trying to kid? He's wanting to tell everybody, hey, I'm a, I'm a scuba diver. I can do this. But he doesn't. He refuses to go into the deep end. He's going to stay in the shallow part of the pool. Well, I want to submit to you that that's a picture of the Christian with a shallow heart. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. We're going through a series about how people respond to the Word of God. It's called the Parable of the Sower. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the hard heart, where when the Word of God goes forward, this this person doesn't want to hear anything that you have to say. Satan comes and snatches the Word out, and there's absolutely no response whatsoever. The person does not become a Christian. Now, let's remember what the seed is. Jesus walks on the earth Uh, He lives a sinless, beautiful life, and he he basically does a couple of things. He's preaching about the kingdom of God. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. In other words, I'm a king of another kingdom, and I want you to be a part of it. And let me show you what my kingdom's like. And when Jesus walks on this earth, he heals. He says, man, there's no sickness in heaven. He casts out demons. There's no demonic influence in heaven. He gives perfect teaching, like in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the way it's run in heaven. It is totally contrary to the things of this earth. It's perfect. It's paradise. There's no sin. There's no sorrow. There's no suffering. Who wants to be a part of my kingdom? If you want to be a part of my kingdom, you don't earn it. You don't work for it. I'll tell you how you get there. In the future, I'm going to that cross. And I'm going to die on that cross to open up a way for you to enter my kingdom. You're not going to be able to be good enough to get in my kingdom because my kingdom is perfect. There's no sin, sorrow, or suffering. If you'll place your faith in me, you'll become a part of my kingdom. That's the message that Jesus was preaching. And when you come to the parable of the sower, there are four responses. The first one we saw a couple of weeks ago is the the path. It's a hard heart. It says, man, I don't care what you say, Jesus. I'm not going into that. You ever had a conversation with somebody like that? That might be you here this morning. It doesn't matter how good the message of the gospel is. You are determined that you are not going to follow Jesus because this is your life and you're going to do what you please. And the devil just sits back and laughs because he's stolen the word from you and deceived you into thinking that you're, you're really the, the real deal. You don't need Jesus at all. Now, when we look at verse 16, if you're following along in the outline, we want to describe how the rocky heart or the shallow heart responds to the word of God. This is the second heart. The first is the hard heart 
Today we're going to call this the shallow heart. And here's what we want to see. Here's point number one on your outline. The shallow heart delights in God's word. Delights in it. What do I mean by that? Look what it says in verse 16. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. There are three characteristics that we see that this person does when they hear the message of the kingdom or the word of God. You see it uh, underlined. At once they receive it with joy. In other words, when a pastor is preaching, here's how that person responds. They respond superficially. They respond immediately. And they respond joyfully. And when we look at them, we think, man, oh man, Jesus really saved that person. Look how they're responding to the preacher. James Montgomery Boyce describes it kind of like this. Jesus described it as soul covering rocky ground. When the seed fell there, it sank in, but only to a very shallow depth. It sprang up quickly, but it also faded quickly in the sun's heat because it had no root. This is an emotional response, or what we call a superficial response, to the message of Jesus Christ. There's an immediate response, but it doesn't last. This is what we would call a shallow-hearted Christian. I remember uh, many years ago when I was preaching, uh, there was a person that came up to me after the service and they said to me, man, I have been praying for a long time about finding a church. Just, and, and I came here today and with tears, I found it. God led me to the place. Never saw him again. Never saw him again. It was a, an emotional, superficial, shallow response. Perhaps we could describe it like this. Every parent knows what I'm talking about. It's Christmas time. And you've worked so hard to buy that one perfect gift for each child. You might get them three or four gifts each, two or three gifts each. But you work so hard in getting all those gifts ready for the child. And you give the child a gift and all of a sudden they open the box and ah, they scream for joy. They, they got this gift. And then they immediately put it aside and go to the next one. They, they just went from one gift to the next and maybe they'll never pick it up again. Some of them are more interested in the boxes and the wrapping paper than the gift. And you put so much time and effort. I think they'll love this. I think they'll love this. They respond with great joy. But man, shortly thereafter, that gift's out of sight, out of mind. And you're kind of disappointed thinking, man, we put time, money, effort into that and they don't even care. Well, that's kind of a picture of what God has done for us. He prepared the way of his son. All the Old Testament prophets proclaimed that he was coming. And when Jesus was on this earth, there was great interest in him. Great crowds followed him. And when people saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, they were amazed. When they saw him heal the man with a shriveled hand, they were amazed. There's something amazing about Jesus that attracts people to him. But when he says, let me be the Lord of your life, that amazement turns into, I don't know. I don't know if I want Jesus to be my Lord or not. These folks react with joy initially, but here's the principle. They want something from Jesus without giving their heart to Jesus. They want to go to heaven when they die, but they don't want to let Jesus be the Lord of their lives right now. Uh, let me give you an example. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, uh, we're going to look at a story. It's a little long, but bear with me. You'll see the point that I'm trying to make here. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Now, sometime, for some time, there was a man named Simon who had practiced sorcery in the city. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 and following. And he amazed all the people of Samaria. 
He boasted that he was someone great. This is a guy that's in the occult and he's doing great things and people are amazed by him. They call him somebody great. All the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. I mean, this was the Gene Dixon of his day, I guess. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now watch verse 18 and following. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He didn't get it. He got some of it, but he didn't get the truth. He said, give me this ability also so that everyone at whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, now watch what Peter says. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry. Now watch verse 21. Because your heart is not right before God. You're interested in what God can give you, but you have no interest in letting Jesus be the Lord of your heart. Verse 22. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. You see, the Christian faith changes the heart. It changes the heart. We're born again. We're converted. We're regenerated. There needs to be a distinct change in the heart. And here's what it is. You go from Jeff-centered or self-centered to Jesus-centered. You are more concerned with God's agenda and his name being honored than you are about your agenda and your name being honored. Notice what it says about Simon. He's full of bitterness. You see, when Jesus comes into a heart, it might be a process, but he doesn't want that bitterness there. He wants that out. All the times you've been hurt, out. All the times you've been burned, out. There needs to be a change. You see, the shallow heart wants the blessings of life, but when you keep the blessings, you also keep the bitterness. Uh, People want to come to church in their scuba gear and stay in the shallow end. Jesus is trying to change your life. And this person doesn't want anything to do with it. They're shallow. They want just enough of Jesus to get to heaven when they die. Secondly, they, they feel like it's okay to make up their own rules. The shallow-hearted Christian all of a sudden has a brand new set of rules. For example, you don't need to go to church. You don't need to read your Bible. You don't need to pray. You're just going to walk into heaven one day and, Jesus, I'm here. And all of heaven will light up in glory because you've arrived. Excuse me? Do we forget who we're talking about here? The God of heaven? Read Isaiah 6. It talks about the throne of God. And there's a picture of what it's like in heaven. And the cherubs are there saying, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there's this awesome reverence where the cherubs cover their eyes. They cover their feet. There is no rule making by people when they come into the throne of God. We don't get to make up the rules. The God of creation has already told us what to do. Jesus said, repent if you want to come into my kingdom. 
You can't do it on your own. Place your faith in me because I'm going to the cross for you. Now, notice what the Bible tells us here. It tells us what the problem is about shallow-hearted people. Look at point two. The shallow heart disdains God's words. The shallow heart disdains God's word. I'm going to have to explain this. Look what it says in verse 17. But since they have no root, they only last for a short time. Their love is shallow. Now look what the word disdain means. It's unworthy of one's consideration. And these people last for only a season. Warren Wiersbe says it like this. Since there's no depth, whatever is planted cannot last because it has no root. This represents the emotional hearer who joyfully accepts God's word but does not really understand the price that must be paid to become a genuine Christian. You could say it like this. Jesus is preaching and some people want what Jesus offers in terms of a benefit, but they don't want to take what Jesus offers in terms of a sacrifice. The Bible says that when Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, uh, Jesus says to Ananias, let me show you how much this man must suffer for my name. We don't want any kind of hardship in our lives. We want comfort and ease. And Jesus is saying, look, you need to bring down roots because if you don't bring down roots or put, put roots in your life, you're going to fade away. You're just going to walk away from the church. You're going to walk away and you, you're going to deceive yourself into thinking that you're fine with me. But I want all of you. I want your heart because I want to bless you and I want you to walk with me and uh, show people what it's like to allow me to be your Lord. Perhaps this illustration will help. Does anybody remember the dating game? I don't even know if it's still on TV anymore. Okay, we're going to do a little quiz between husbands and wives, okay? So if you're married today, uh, husbands, I'm going to ask you questions. You can answer your wife this, okay? Ready? Here's the first question. What color does your spouse think looks best on you? Go ahead. You can answer that. What, what color do you think your, your, looks best on your spouse? Okay, question number two. Ladies, this is for your husband. What date did your spouse, spouse ask you to marry her? Remember the date? Okay, next one. If your spouse could not have a job, uh, if your spouse could have any job, what job would they do? I have told my family for years, if I was not, be, not a preacher, I would probably be a detective. I think that's pretty cool. Probably a terrible one, but this is kind of personal. These are just questions that were asked on the dating game. These aren't Pastor Jeff's questions, Okay. I better not say this one. Who snores the most? Anybody there? Okay, let's go on to the next one. Here's the last one. Who was the first person you told about your engagement? Well, they asked these questions on there, and they find out it was kind of embarrassing because some folks didn't know anything about the person they had married. And it was just embarrassing. You're on national TV, and there's, there's shallowness in their relationship. There's no depth in the relationship at all. You know, now, now we've got these TV shows that are married at first sight. First time you see somebody get married, I'm like, are you serious? You can't be serious. Here's my point. Many people treat Jesus that way. They, they treat Jesus like it's the dating game. They treat Jesus with, um, I'll give you a little attention to find out if I like you or not. And if they don't, they'll just move on to the next thing. And Jesus becomes just another opportunity, another choice in life. There's no roots in our relationship with the Lord, just like there's no roots in relationships between folks. Here's what Jesus wants for the shallow heart. He wants us to put down roots with him. If you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, there needs to be a developing of the relationship and it needs to get deeper. Deeper with Jesus, that's what we need to do. He's saying, look, you can stay in the shallow end of the pool all you want to, but I want you to go deeper with me. I want you to trust me in this life. 
That's what I want you to do. How do we do that? Well, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to take God's word and meditate on the promises of Holy Scripture. It's a theme that you see all through Scripture. In Joshua chapter 1, he says, meditate on my word day and night. It's God's word. As we meditate on this word, we're going to know him better. Psalm chapter 1, we meditate on his law day and night so that we'll be like a tree planted by the streams of water. It's the roots that go down to the water. In other words, depth means trust. You're going to trust the Lord through the difficulties and the blessings of life. That's what depth means. You're going to go from the shallow end of the pool to the deep end of the pool when you put God's word in your heart. And when you put God's word in his heart, when the situations of life come, you're going to trust it. You got roots. You're starting to develop a root system. And then people are going to come and get under your tree, hypothetically, and and learn and know the Lord better because of your life. But the onus is on you. You, you got to take time. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. You put this word in your heart so that you can grow and put down roots. I think one of the most difficult things for us is to go through difficulties or trials. And when you go through difficulties or trials, we think that God has abandoned us. I struggle with that sometimes. God, why is this coming into my life? Why, why is this difficult here? Trials are God's way of helping us to put down roots. We will be satisfied and content in our relationship with the Lord as long as everything's going well. So what God does is he sends a difficulty in our lives so that we will go deeper with him. God, I need more of you to get through this difficulty. God, I need more of you to go through this trial. And we're saying, God, I don't want this trial. I'm satisfied with my relationship from you. But just as a parent says to a child, you got to go from the shallow end to the deep end if you want to learn how to swim. God will put a difficulty in our life and he'll say, look, I want you to go from the shallow faith to a deeper faith. And the only way that's going to happen is if you go to the deep end. So I'm going to give you something to help you to trust me more. You know, I think if you go into scripture, it's unique how Jesus describes some folks. He says to the centurion, I have not found anyone with such great faith in all of Israel. And another passage of scripture says, oh, you of little faith. When Jesus sees us, he sees our level of faith, shallow faith or deep end of the pool of faith. What would you say that you have? The way that God takes us from the shallow end to the deep end is by taking this word and putting it in our hearts first and foremost. This puts the roots down. So that when the difficulties come, we have a reservoir to draw from. We have a root system. We have nourishment. We have a level of trust in God that with Job we can say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. How's your trust level? Shallow end of the pool, folks, they bounce. There's no, they don't want any problems, so they will leave their situation so the problem goes away. But their, their trust level in the Lord never deepens. They just stay right on the surface. They're very shallow end folks. We don't want to be that way. We want to be people that are trusting in God all of our lives because there's going to come a time when he takes us home and we're going to have to trust him when we leave this life and go home. Uh, In the providence of God, just a couple of weeks ago, I went back and I looked at a video that was probably from the year 2000 
of James Montgomery Boyce, one of the great evangelical scholars of our day. And here's a guy that's being used all over the world, all over the world. And all of a sudden, he's jogging one day and he doesn't feel real good. And he goes to his church, goes to his doctor and finds out there's some problems. He had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I mean, a scholar used to the Lord, a pastor's pastor, everything you would want in the Christian faith. And you're thinking, what in the world is going on here? Why? We need this guy. He's the epitome of godliness. He's the epitome of what a pastor should be. Faithfully served his church for 30 years. And all of a sudden, he gets diagnosed with a terminal disease. And when I got on the, the, the internet, I looked at his instructions to his folks. It was the last time he ever preached to his, to his church family. He gets up there and he says, you know, I'm going to tell you something. He said, the God who's allowed me to have this problem, could, or who can heal this problem, is the God who allowed me to have it in the first place. And we just trust him for the results and leave it with that. He said, right now my primary symptom is fatigue. So if you don't mind... I'm not going to listen to the guest preacher or the song today. I'm going to go to home and go to sleep. Eight weeks later, he was in heaven. Just that fast. His whole world changed like that. But because of his deep roots in the word of God, because of his deep trust in the Lord, when the trial came, he still speaks. And I'm amazed by his faith. He had great faith. God wants all of his children to have great faith. Does not Hebrews say, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. The shallow heart wants no faith at all. We want faith on our terms. We want God to listen to us and bless us and give us what we want. But we're going to stay away from him. We disdain him. We're unworthy of considering. We consider it unworthy to take his word and put it in our hearts. But this is the key to depth. And this is the key to life. We avoid it at our own peril because there will come a time when those difficulties will come. Look at point three. If you don't do that, the shallow heart departs from God's word. Departs. Look what Jesus says in verse 17. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. They immediately hear the word and get joy. And they immediately, when trials come, fall away. The word in Luke there is time of testing. It's an interesting word. It's the word parosmos in Greek. And it has two meanings. Temptation and testing. When temptation comes your way, because God doesn't tempt anybody. When temptation comes your way, it's a test. Whether you're going to have deep roots and trust in the Lord or not. Or are you going to pass the test? The test sometimes is going to be trouble or persecution. Look what John MacArthur says in his study Bible. Some people make an emotional, superficial commitment to salvation in Christ, but it's not real. They remain interested only until there's a sacrificial price to pay, and then they abandon Christ. You know, it's, it's a sad thing. I, I mentioned it in the Wednesday night group a couple of weeks ago. People, for some reason, are getting on YouTube and they're saying, or Forgive me, I'm not a social media person. Instagram, some of these social media things. They're getting on there and saying, I give up the faith. There was a professor that came out a couple of weeks ago with a PhD in theology. I'm walking away from the faith and I'm filled with joy. They're doing what this verse says. They're falling away quickly. 
These are the people that are supposed to have deep faith. People that we're supposed to be looking up to. People that have taught us how to live. But I wonder how deep their roots were. I mean, you look at this text of Scripture, it says there's going to come a time when the test of their faith comes. Will they stay or will they go? Interestingly enough, the word fall away there in Greek is one word, it's scandalizo. So we get the word scandal. We consider it a scandal when somebody leaves the faith. You might remember many years ago the PTO crisis with Jim Baker. It was a scandal. Or when Jimmy Swaggart had his problems, it was a scandal. And everybody was looking at Christianity and saying, oh man, these people are falling away from the faith. That's what it means here. When when we turn away from Jesus, when something hard happens in our lives, we scandal, we walk away. Now here's what I've noticed through the years in talking with folks. Some people come to church on Sunday mornings because it's the right thing to do. But in their hearts, they've walked away. They're here physically. But they're sure not here spiritually. They feel burned. They feel hurt. They feel bitter. They're going through the motions because they don't want anybody to know that on the inside, they have fallen away. And you can tell because there's no depth. There's no word. There's no root. There's no pursuit of Jesus. They're just upset about their lot in life. And they have walked away. They have departed from God's word. These are the words of Christ, friends. They're not Pastor Jeff. What we need for the cure of shallow heart folks is people that are going to take the time to develop big roots. And it's not an individual thing. That's what churches are for. Could you turn to the person next to you and just say these words? We need each other. Go ahead. You, you are not supposed to be a Lone Ranger Christian. The problem is we have been so burned, so hurt, so ripped off in our minds that we don't trust anybody anymore, even the Lord, and definitely not his word, because pain hurts, and it does. I'm not trying to minimize the pain. It's real. Notice what our Lord says. He says, when trouble or persecution comes, not if, when. There's going to be a time when trouble or persecution comes because of the word of God. How are you going to respond? The shallow heart quickly falls away. Quickly. We want Jesus to give us blessings, but not trouble. But Jesus is saying, look, you got to trust me. you got to take me at my word, because when the trouble comes, and it will come. When the persecution comes, and it will come. When the testing comes, and it will come. How are you going to respond? Are you going to be a shallow heart? Are you going to be the kind of person that stays or goes? Because there are They've always been that way, and they still are today. And it's not easy to stay, is it, when it gets hard? But but the test is designed to help us to go from the shallow end of the pool to the deep end of the pool. God wants depth in our hearts. Are you satisfied being shallow? Or you go deeper? The test is designed to help you to go deeper. I'll close with this illustration. There was a pastor in Canada, a very famous pastor in the 1800s. His name was John Getty. He was a very successful pastor of a church. And he felt God putting on his heart to move his wife and two kids to the South Sea Islands to begin a missionary work there. Why the South Sea Islands? Because the South Sea Islands was filled with cannibals. And he felt they needed Jesus. 
Now I say not because he's saying history had shown that the cannibalistic people there would attack and kill people. He had heard about a, a, a British ship that had 20 people on there that were captured, cannibalized by these, the word they use is savages. And John Getty's got a successful pastorate, wife, two kids in Canada, and his heart burdened him to go to the South Sea Islands to minister to these folks that needed Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. Let's just take a little test here, okay? Folks, there's some, there's some cannibals a couple of miles away. We're looking for some missionaries to go over there and tell them about Jesus. Now, they might kill you and they might eat you, but that's okay. We're, we're being called to that mission. So anybody interested? I don't know about I wouldn't go. Well, I'd have to, think, I'd have to pray a long time for that to happen. <laughs> John Getty said, you know, Jesus is my Lord. I got deep roots in this word. And I'm going to go. With his wife and two kids. He took off. Traveled 20,000 miles. To arrive at the New Hebrides Islands. To minister to these folks. And as the story goes. He didn't even know the language. He had to learn the language of these people. Because there was no written books on how to learn it. There was a constant threat. Of losing his life. Slowly. The word of God worked. Did you hear that? It's, it's the preacher, the sower of the seed. It's the word that changes lives. And if you want your life to change, you've got to get this word inside of you. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Take the word and put it inside of you. Well, he began to preach the word and finally a few converts came about. And then in the providence of God, many people placed their faith in Jesus Christ. In time, they translated the whole Bible and developed 25 churches. In many of those years, John Getty had very little help, very little support, but he trusted in the Lord. He wanted his life to count. He wanted his life to count. When it was over in the pulpit of his church that he had pastored for so many years in the South Sea Islands, they put a plaque on his desk. It said, when he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. When he left in 1872, there were no heathen. There's a guy that made his life count. He trusted in God's word, put down deep roots, and he lived a life exemplary for us. I know we all have shortcomings, friends. I know we all have our failures. I, I do too. But if, but if you're hearing something from this text and this message today, don't be shallow. Don't, don't live your life with all this equipment on, standing in the shallow end of the pool. You've got to make a decision saying, I'm going to walk with Jesus and go to the deep end. And trust him as he guides and leads me. I'm going to go deeper, put deeper roots in the Lord so that my life will bear fruit for him. That's what he would have us to do. Now, the danger of a message like this is that it seems like I'm kind of picking on folks. But remember, I didn't write the word. I'm only preaching the word. My hope is that you will take time, put this book in your heart, get deep roots with Jesus, and like John Getty, go out to whatever God calls you to do to make a difference in this world before God calls you home, before he takes you home to heaven. I had a conversation with somebody recently and they wanted to know about heaven. And I said, well, you know, the old Puritans used to write books on what heaven's going to be like, that it's an anticipation that we get to go there one day. 
I said, I don't know, but there should be a hope in every Christian's heart that one day when we get there, it will be beautiful. It will be stunning. There'll be no sin, no sorrow, no shame. We live our lives now because we know, as Miss Bonnie said in her children's sermon, that's, that's where we're going to be one day in the end. And that's where we're going. But the key is to live our lives now like we're already members there. So that whoever God brings into our life, they can see Jesus Christ in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for your kindness to us. Father, I pray that this message went forward today in a way that pleases you. Father, I, I pray that you will speak to each and every heart here as only you can. Holy Spirit, please move as, as only you can. And take this word and challenge the status quo of our hearts. Father, if there's anyone here that's chosen to just do the very bare minimum, just enough to squeak into heaven by staying in the shallow end of the pool, I pray you'll speak to their hearts and say, life was not meant to be lived in the shallow end. We're supposed to go deeper with you and make an impact so there's fruitfulness in our lives. May we take your word, put it in our heart, and bear much fruit in it all, giving you the glory and the honor and the praise. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. During this time of invitation, you may have been challenged by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. You might look at your life and say, you know what? I have lived a life of shallowness. I want the real thing. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life and the Lord of my heart. Friends, He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. And when that trial comes, I pray that your trust is in Him. During this time, we're going to have a hymn invitation. In just a moment, I ask you to stand. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord, I pray you'll do so. If God's speaking to your heart about becoming part of this church family, I pray you'll do so. Trust Him. That's what He would have us to do. Let's all stand together. I'll be at the front if you want to.